Welcome to another episode of the MMA Logcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 8, which is headlined by Alexander Rakic and Anthony Smith for a pivotal light heavyweight battle that I'm really looking forward to, especially for the Alexander Rakic side, uh, considering, in my opinion, uh, that he got robbed last time around against Volkan Uzdemir. It kind of set him back slightly, but I think that this fight with Anthony Smith really cements himself in the top five if he's able to come out with a victory here. So will he? It's wait and find out when we get to that fight in this breakdown. Um, just a note before we do actually start this episode, um, this will be an abbreviated version of what you guys are normally used to. Um, you know, I normally pre-record most of my breakdowns or pretty much all of my breakdowns uh, and I drop them for the Patreon members uh, as soon as I'm done recording them. However, this is a little bit different of a week. Um, I am out visiting the in-laws. We drove 30 hours from Toronto out here to Saskatchewan. Uh, it's pretty much the last opportunity that we'll get this year to actually come see them. So I was more than happy to make the trek out here, uh, spend quality time with them, uh, you know, while still working my nine to five while still updating the tape index uh, and uh, attempting to uh, get my uh, tape study in. However, uh, the internet out here, <laughs> probably not the greatest uh, being in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so I did make do with what I could, um, tried studying the fights that I want to make a bet on as best as I can. Um, and it is going to be a, a smaller card in terms of how many bets I actually have on this card. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, either way, there's a lot of juice on this card. So maybe it's better to to keep the card light rather than trying to dig in and try to find as many underdogs as possible. Uh, but regardless, I wanted to put out, an, uh, put out an episode for you guys. Um, you guys have been killing it, and I've been killing it too. I mean, we got eight straight winning events. I'm very, very happy about that. Uh, my record is nine, so I hope to tie that this weekend uh, with the W and then break it next weekend with the next event. Uh, so that would be freaking awesome if I'm able to pull that off. Uh, but I can't do it without you guys. I greatly appreciate all the patrons that have hopped on. Um, you know, for that five bucks a month, it's more than a steal considering the amount of money that we've been able to make over the past eight events. Um, you know, the early breakdowns or early access to the breakdowns, obviously, besides this week due to the, the asterisk around it, um, but also including, uh, you know, the, the, the best bets and uh, props article. I'll still be dropping that for uh, for the patrons. Um, again, maybe not the most in-depth uh, compared to the previous weeks, but I'm doing my best given what I've uh, been given for this week. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and lastly, I just want to give a shout-out to all the subscribers on YouTube as well. We cracked the 1K mark. I'm not sure if it was last week or even during between the last couple episodes, but I'm very, very appreciative and very, very grateful for everybody that hit that subscribe button. Uh, you guys, your boy is finally a part of the YouTube pay partnership. And uh, that's always been a goal of mine since I started doing this podcasting thing. So it was a great honor of mine uh, to, to, to actually hit that mark and, you know, continuously provide you guys with content on a weekly basis, whether it's my MMA Lockcast or it's the combative stories that I do with Tony or if it's the, the deciding splits that we do as well, too. So, um, you know, as time starts to free up, uh, as I start to create more revenue streams for myself, I hope to, you know, loosen the chains of the nine to five so I can provide more content on this YouTube channel, more betting advice, more prediction advice, all that type of stuff. I really hope to bring that to you guys. Um, but yeah, uh, it all comes down to the results and the results have been killing it as of late. And I hope to continue that trend moving forward. All right, now that we got that house cleaning stuff out of the way, uh, let's go over my last event, which was UFC Vegas 7, uh, where we had another winning event. You know, plus 4.54 units. Very, very happy about that. Let's go, uh, you know, bet by bet, and let's break it down for you guys real quick. So let's start off with my dog of the night play, which was the under, actually, originally, it was supposed to be OSP. I had 1.5 units at plus 108. However, OSP test positive for the Rona. He gets pulled out in steps uh, at the Dwight Grant-Daniel Rodriguez fight, which was also a late-notice fight due to, uh, I believe it was Takashi Sato and can't remember who Dwight Grant was supposed to fight. Uh, but both those guys, their opponents pulled out. And luckily enough, Grant uh, and Rodriguez were in the same class, so they are able to pull off that fight. 
and uh, it was a banger for as long as it lasted. Uh, it was very entertaining. It's unfortunate that Pedro Munoz and Frankie Edgar had the full five rounds to go out there and put on a, uh, and a very impressive fight. Uh, otherwise, I think Grant Rodriguez probably would have got fight of the night, even though that fight only lasted one round. Uh, so the bet was under two and a half rounds. Plus 151. I thought that was an absurd line, considering that both guys are very, very technical. Well, not technical, but powerful strikers. They go out there, they swing bombs. Dwight Grant, obviously, yeah, he has gone to a couple of decisions in his last couple of fights, but I thought the, the matchup stylistically would have produced fireworks, and surely it did. Thankfully for the bookmakers, they give us two and a half rounds and not one and a half, so I was even more confident. If it was at one and a half, I'd be a little bit more skeptical, I won't lie. But uh, two and a half rounds at plus 151. The only thing I regret is not going harder on it. So I'm happy to cash that plus 2.26 units. Very, very happy about that. And then we'll talk about the losing uh, bet. Probably should have gone with the singles here, but I parlayed Mizuki, Mizuki Inoue and uh, Joe Selecki, uh one unit at plus 206. Uh, that's minus one unit. <clears throat> we'll start off with the winning side of that parlay first. Joe Selecki goes out there and looks amazing. Uh, you know, a lot of people were, were uh, honestly... Come fight time, Joe Selecki ended up being the underdog, and I thought that was absolutely absurd. People are going out there and just thinking, okay, look at Hubbard, what he did to Max Roscoff. Look at what he was able to accomplish against Mark O'Madson, even in a loss. You know, he, in that third round, it looks like he was going to go out there and possibly get the victory. And if there was one more round, he probably would have got the win. Joe Selecki is another monster. Joe Selecki has the wrestling and the jiu-jitsu to pass. Uh, to back it up compared to, you know, Marco Madsen, who just had the wrestling. And he wasn't really able to go out there and implement his jiu-jitsu because Hubbard had a, a better gas tank and had decent submission defense. Max Roscoff, we know that guy's not a UFC-level fighter. He was just all hype, uh, was going in there and smoking cans, and then gets that call up to the UFC on short notice, and then gets exposed for the fraud he is. And then Joe Selecki, you guys can't, you cannot be lumping him in a, in there with the, the likes of those other two. Maybe Marco Madsen, but Marco Madsen has a lot of work to do when it comes to the uh, jiu-jitsu realm, at least in my opinion. Joe Selecki is a much better uh, jiu-jitsu player than those last two guys, and he is a fighter. Let's not forget about that. He's a fighter. So, uh, you know, good win for Selecki there. I wish I played him straight instead of parlaying with Inoue. I got a little bit greedy there. Uh, so let's go over to Inoue. Bad read on my end. You know, I, I was putting a little bit too much emphasis on Lemos and her uh, crappy gas tank that she showed against Leslie Smith. Uh, since she's come down to 115 now, she's looked a lot better. She looks uh, in way better shape. Uh, and her gas tank kind of held up. You know, she has a lot of heat and power behind her punches. And it was really able to show against Inoue, who's looking more so to, to pitter-patter and kind of just push Lemos up against the cage with not much damage. Hence, Lemos's damage was able to uh, sway the judges a little bit more. So solid win for Lemos there. Shout out to all the Lemos dog betters there as well too. Uh, good spot for you guys. So it's minus one unit there. And then lastly, we had the lock of the night play. We had Mike Rodriguez and Marcin Pracnio under one and a half rounds. Very, very happy to catch that. Minus 122. Y'all are giving me minus 122 on guys that have questionable durability and have massive power. Crazy that it was under one and a half. Crazy, crazy, crazy. I, I'm sorry, crazy was minus 122. I was expecting that closer to be like minus 160, minus 175, but I'll take it. I don't know if people are thinking that they're going to go out there and be a little bit more skeptical and hesitant to go, throw bombs, but Mike Rodriguez just puts it on Pracnio, lands beautiful elbows, drops Pracnio, and finishes with ground and bound. Very, very happy to cash that for plus 3.28 units. And all in all, we finish off plus 4.54 units on UFC Vegas 7 for a 70% return on investment. Very, very happy to, uh, to to hit that solid event. And again, the, the streak freaking continues. Plus 4.54 units last time. Plus 2.57 units before that. Plus 6.45 units before that. Plus 6.37 units before that. Plus 7.23 units before that. We were just killing it. I'm very, very happy, and I'm glad I have this momentum. Continuously digging myself out of the hole that we created last year, or at the ending of last year, and uh, we're going to keep it going. You know, the UFC has said that they're going to have a, a pretty much UFC event every weekend from here to the end of the end of the calendar year, and I'm very, very happy about that because we can just keep working, keep grinding, and hopefully continue to rack up these units and uh, build that bankroll. So uh, this weekend, UFC on Vegas eight. 
Again, headline by Alexander Rakic versus Anthony Smith. Very, very pivotal fight in that light heavyweight division, especially now that it's pretty much wide open with John Jones uh, vacating the belt and saying that he has plans going up to uh, plans to go up to heavyweight. Uh, so that 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 leaves a lot of. Um, interesting moving pieces that we have at the top of that light heavyweight division. You got Thiago Santos fighting Glover Teixeira coming up. You got this fight. Uh, you got Jan Blachowicz fighting Dominic Reyes for the actual title. Um, and there's a couple other guys, Magomed Ankalev, who also fights later on or earlier in this card that could make a stake uh, for that top 10 or top 5, top 10 spot with the dominant victory over Ian Kutilaba. Even Kutsalaba, if he goes out there and uh, upsets Ankalaev, he establishes himself within that top seven range. Uh, so a lot of these guys are, you know, it's a it's a moving and shaking next couple months for the light heavyweight division. And I'm very excited to see this one with Rakic, who has been, a you know, a highly talented prospect, at least in my eyes, uh, since he came into the UFC, especially with that uh, beautiful performance he had against Justin Ledette. Uh But, uh, you know, I, I do have high hopes and I do think he has a high ceiling. Uh, other notable fights on the card, we got Robbie Lawler, the ruthless one, uh, coming back. Um, a bit of a short notice fight. Neil Magley, I believe, was actually supposed to fight Jeff Neal first. Uh, Jeff Neal pulls out due to some sort of uh, complications, health compli complications that he had. Uh, and I was very surprised to see Robbie Lawler to be the one that actually steps in to take this fight. Um, tough fight for him. Other notables, we got Ricardo Lamas. He was actually supposed to fight Ryan Hall on this card. That fight falls due, due to an undisclosed uh uh, injury to um, fucking uh, Ryan Hall and uh, now Ricardo Lamas is fighting uh, newcomer Bill Algio. Other notable fights like I said Magomed Ankalaev versus Ian Kutzlaba. Very very intrigued about that. Um, Emily Whitmire versus Poliana Vigiana is a dark horse, dark horse fight. Um, you know a lot of people aren't really excited for the women's MMA fights but your boy is. <laughs> Trust me. I, I really like Whitmire and Vienna. Uh, that's a fun fun fight. DiCarico versus Cummings is a sneaky good fight. Uh, Aguilera versus Brady is a great fight too. Alexa Grasso coming back as well. That's a great fight. Uh, and then a, a very notable one, Impa Kasanganai. Uh, just got a contract on Dana White's contender series. If it wasn't, uh, I believe it was a week ago or two weeks ago. So he's making a very quick turnaround uh, to come back and fight Mackie Patolo. So that should be a, a, a fun fight. So... Let's get into these breakdowns again, different from the most recent podcast that you guys have been getting. Um, this is uh, kind of an ode to the old school version of the MMA lockcast where I'll just sit down and bang all these fights out uh, in one go. And that's pretty much what I'm uh, intending on doing here. So uh, let's get right into the card. I'm not even going to. Uh, waste too much more of your time here. So let's start off at the bottom of the card. We got Sean Brady, 12-0 against Christian Aguilera. Uh, minus 410 for Sean Brady, plus 230 for Christian Aguilera. And uh, the over-under, we got uh, over 2.5 uh, is minus 145. Under 2.5 is plus 125. I like Sean Brady here. I'll just come out and say it. Um, I was a little bit of a skeptic of his uh, coming into the UFC. I I can't remember. I believe I took a small shot on Court McGee as I thought that McGee's, um, you know, his uh, his experience, his UFC experience, his grinding ability, his gas tank would be able to give Sean Brady problems. However, Sean Brady passes that test with flying colors, beats him in a unanimous decision, and then he comes back and beats Ishmael Nardiev via decision as well. The guy's a small, compact fighter that likes to throw bombs in his shots, uh, solid leg kicks, uh, solid striking, um, solid uh, wrestling as well too. Uh, but his main thing is kind of overwhelming fighters with his power, his lunging hooks, uh, his blitzing attacks. It really stifles fighters and it really kind of like gets them questioning, all right, should I be you know, moving forward? Should I be throwing a strike? Should I be waiting to counter? Either way, you're going to be getting hit with a pretty massive bomb by Sean Brady regardless. Christian Aguilera, on the other hand, he's a guy that I actually faded last time around with Anthony Ivey, and that was probably the last time I will ever bet on a debuting fighter, no matter the circumstances. Um, you know, Christian Aguilera goes out there and finishes Anthony Ivey within a minute of the first round, uh, you know, catches Ivey and just does not let up. I thought Ivey's path to victory in that fight was pretty much to take this fight to the ground, try to grind out uh, Aguilera and possibly open up a submission later in the fight. However, we didn't even get past the one-minute mark, so we have no idea how that would have played out. Uh, and if my game or if my you know prediction was uh, even close to, to to coming to fruition, Christian Aguilera goes out there and just shuts that shit down. Uh, Aguilera 
not impressed with him, which is why I faded him last time around. Am I willing to fade him at minus 410 here with Sean Brady? Probably not. However, I do like the inside the distance for Sean Brady as I do think that as this fight wears on, it's going to get tougher and tougher for Aguilar to, you know, one, find his shots, two, uh, avoid the big strikes of Sean Brady, and three, I don't think his gas tank will be able to hold up here against Sean Brady's uh, relenting attack and forward moving pace that he brings to every single fight. So um, uh, minus 410, a little bit too ju uh, juicy in my opinion. The in the distance is probably the spot that you want to look at. If you're betting uh, Sean Brady plus 155, not too bad of a price in my opinion. Um, yeah, I think Brady is definitely the the, the much better fighter here. I, I think his, his shots will be too much. I think whatever Aguilar throws at him in terms of a striking uh, or at least power, uh, I, I think he won't be able to land clean enough on Brady to be able to really, you know, cause too many trouble or too much trouble there. So I do like Sean Brady to win that fight. Um, I'll take him to win by second round TKO. Uh, I think he does catch Aguilar after Aguilar starts to gas a little bit uh, and he get, follows up with the TKO victory. Next up, we got Poliana Vienna versus Emily Whitmire. Uh, minus 150 on Whitmire, plus 130 on Poliana Vienna. Uh, both girls are kind of finishers, and it, that's weird to see in women's MMA because more often than not, uh, you see people going out there and betting the over two and a half, and more often than not, I think long term that probably works out for them. However, I think both of these women are more so finishers than other women. Let's just talk about Whitmire's last five fights, including, you know what, let's go back to the last six fights since uh, the, the Ultimate Fighter. You got one, two, three, four, five finishes in six fights. That's her getting finished or getting the finish. Uh, and then you got Poliana Vienna on the other hand, 10 and 4. Uh, and let's look at her last six fights. Um, she has one, two, three, four, four, and four out of six uh, were finishes. Two of those her finishing and two of her those her getting finished. So uh, I do like, you know what, I do side a little bit more so with Poliana Vienna. And yeah, she has been a little bit of a bust coming into the UFC here. Um you know, she is only one in three losses to J.J. Aldrich, a loss to Hannah Cyphers, And that's where I believe a lot of people start to write her off. And then obviously she got armbarred for, by Veronica Macedo back in August. I think people are getting a little bit ahead of, them, ahead of themselves with Emily Whitmire. And I do think that it comes down to recency bias here. Um, you know, I, I'm not trying to completely shit on Emily Whitmire here, but I do think that uh, Poliana Vienna has the overall better jiu-jitsu, and I do believe we'll see this fight, you know, come down to the jiu-jitsu realm, and both, both girls are going to be throwing up submissions. And yeah, again, Vienna does have that submission loss to Veronica Macedo, but I do think uh, that uh, Whitmire doesn't have as much to offer offensively than um, Poliana Vienna. So I do like Vienna to win this fight again. I do expect it to play out in the grappling realm for the most part. And at a certain point, one of the one of these ladies are going to slip up and there will be a submission that presents itself. I believe it will be Vienna that is going to be successful in snatching up that submission. However, I don't feel comfortable playing her at that plus 130 line. That plus 165 under two and a half. Just saying. If you're, if you're just listening to the audio version of this, I gave the camera a very, very... Interesting look. Just saying that. Plus 165 under two and a half. Not bad. Just saying. Not bad. That, that, that's that's a decent price to take a shot on for girls that are known to either finish or get finished. So yeah, I'm going to side with Poliana Vienna there to get the uh, submission probably in the first round. I could see these girls going, you know, kind of bat out of a hell type of style. Uh, and we'll see Poliana Vienna. Uh, you know, I'm going to say rear naked choke. Uh, but I, you know, Thankfully, we don't have to bet on the exact submissions that these uh, these fighters have to pull off. Um, the next fight is actually Alex Caceres versus Kevin Kroom. Luckily for me, before I was actually able to dig into to studying up on either of these guys, we got news that Kevin Kroom actually had to pull out. Not exactly sure why, uh, but Alex Caceres is opponentless, at least at the time of this recording. So if he does come together and, and you know, ends up getting an opponent uh, come fight time, maybe I'll add something in the comment section on the, on the YouTube page uh, to, to let you guys know who I actually lean uh, if I'm able to get some time in to research either one of these guys. Um, so next up is Alessio D. Carrico versus Zach Cummings. Um <laughs> This one's a tough one. So I wish I did have more time to actually go in and research this fight 
this fight considering that it's pretty much out of pick em right now. Um, but obviously circumstances that I laid out earlier in this podcast did not allow me to. Um, initially, I did lean Alessio Di Carico, but going back and really kind of looking through Zach Cummings' resume and, uh, you know, slowly remembering, uh, you know, what his style is all about. I like his jiu-jitsu style to kind of like take over the fight here. I think he could actually absolutely go out there and grind out Alessio Di Carico. Uh, you know, Zach Cummings has decent stand-up. Uh, obviously, a better jiu-jitsu game than he does have a stand-up. Uh, you know, his most recent victory was over Trevin Goss via guillotine choke in the third round. His most recent loss, which was his last fight, was against Omari Akhmadov in a fight that he just pretty, pretty much got grinded out. Akhmadov is able to do that against most of his opponents, so you can't really fault him there. Uh, his other, his most recent loss, other than that, Michel Prezeris, who's another guy, and that was a split decision loss. Uh, Prezeris is another guy who's known to just go out there and outpower his opponents and just pretty much outgrind them. He he's able to 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 impose this type of um, this weird this grappling style where he's able to just stifle opponents with his strength alone, with his clinch, with his grappling. Uh, so I, I, I can't really fault Zach Cummings for that loss. Santiago Ponzinibbio, another loss on Zach Cummings' record. Gunnar Nelson, another loss on his record. But outside of that, the guy has wins on his record. Jan Cabral, okay. Dominic Steele, okay. Nicholas Dalby, decent. Alexander Yakovlev, a straight arm lock victory there too. You got to throw that out there. Nathan Coy, all right. Trevor Smith, kind of past the hill. Trevin Gauss, decent victory. Alessio Di Carico, I would kind of categorize him in that Trevin Gauss type of fighter. And I think that Zach Cummings is the slightly better fighter there. So I do think Alessio Di Carico will have the advantage on the feet. But I do think that uh, Zach Cummings overall as a fighter uh, has a much better uh, chance to win this fight. You know, Di Carico is coming off of some pretty tough losses. I'll give him that. Uh, Mahmoud Muradov last time around and Kevin Holland before that um, you know and then he does have a split decision victory over Julian Marquez and uh, he did finish Oluwale Bomboche uh, back in December of 2017 you know I do, I definitely do think that uh, Zach Cummins has the better resume there uh, the better jiu-jitsu chops um, great coaching as well too training over there at Glory Kickboxing with uh, James Cross and that team Um yeah, I, I do think he's the better fighter there, and I would lean him there, uh, or lean him here in this uh, in this pick em fight. And honestly, even at pick em ons, I, I'm not that mad. It seems like the money is slowly coming in on uh, Di Carico, actually. So I wouldn't mind a you know a small play on on Zach Cummings is not the worst thing. You know, I mean, I I do think he has, again, like I said, I believe he has overall better chops. I do think he has the ability to get this fight to the ground to really get his game going. So I do like Cummings to win this fight. I don't know if it will be by deci- or decision or submission, but I do like him to win this fight. And again, I pick him odds. I, I think it's intriguing enough to, to take a shot on him there. So I'm going to go with Zach Cummings to win this fight via decision. Next up, we got Mallory Martin versus Hannah Cyphers. We got minus 325 on Mallory Martin, plus 265 on Hannah Cyphers. And first and foremost, shout out to <laughs> Hannah Cyphers' uh, manager, you know, Taking tough fights after tough fights, but keeping her active this year. Let's just count up how many fights Hannah Cyphers has this year, even though she's lost pretty much every single one of them. Uh, in 2020, in January, she lost to Angela Hill. In May, she lost to Mackenzie Dern. And then just recently in June, she lost to Maria Agapova. And now here she is at the end of August taking on Mallory Martin. Um, now, this is a fight where if Hannah Cyphers does not win this fight, She's probably going to have to get cut. And that's very unfortunate because I'm a big fan of Cyphers. You know, she brings her every time she fights. She does not look like a fighter, but she fights like a fighter. Um, maybe, you know, questionable fight IQ considering that Mackenzie Dern lost where, you know, she was doing a really good job in terms of keeping this fight on the feet uh, and really beating up Mackenzie Dern on the feet in the clinch positions. Uh, but for some goddamn reason decided to, you know, in a position where she was able to completely disengage from a ground and jujitsu battle, she somehow sticks around there. Mackenzie Dern, you know, snatches up her leg, trips her, and then knee bars her. Got to be the worst beat by far. You know, lead the, the the minute or whatever it was, two and a half minutes leading up to that knee bar, Hannah Cyphers was doing very, very well, considering that she was like a plus, what was it? Plus 300 underdog. You know what I mean? So if she's able to shore up those fight IQ, uh, you know, those those 
those gaps and those flaws, she could be a little bit of an issue. You know what I mean? Like, and I, and pun definitely intended. She's she's a small girl, but she packs a lot of heat. She has good leg kicks. She has good power in her hands. She has decent jujitsu. It could definitely use a little bit of work. Uh, but she she throws with a lot of power. And if she's able to keep this fight on the feet against Mallory Martin, she could absolutely make and make it a very, very uh, difficult fight for Martin. Martin wants to get this fight to the ground. That's where she's going to be able to be most uh, effective. You know, she is the girlfriend, I'm hoping and presuming still, of uh, Duran Wynn, who's a very high-level wrestler himself. But if you go back and look at most of Mallory Martin's fights, that's her best path to victory is getting fights to the ground uh, and looking for submissions, looking for ways to get her opponents out of there, whether it's ground and pattern or submission, like I was saying. Six and three is Mallory Martin. Uh, you know, she has a ground and pound, rear naked choke, ground and pound. Uh, those are her victories. And she's lost to Macy Barber and Verna Jandy Roba. Very unfortunate that she had to fight Jandy Roba in her first UFC fight. Uh, but here she gets a little bit more of a favorable matchup against Hannah Cyphers. But if she's not, like I said, if she's not able to get Cyphers down, it could be a very interesting fight. Um, I'm not willing to pay the juice on Martin here. I'm not sold on her yet. You know, she's 6-3. and three. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Why the hell is she minus 325? No. No. I know Hannah Cyphers has lost three fights. But those three fights, she can make small little adjustments and she could possibly go out there and actually win those fights. The Agapova fight, I, I'll admit, she was outpowered there, you know, and just completely outgunned in that fight. Uh, the Mackenzie Dern fight, that was a winnable fight for her, minus that one gaffe that she had in terms of engaging in the jiu-jitsu. And then the fight before that, Macy Barber, we all know Macy Barber is, it, she's legit, she's the truth, uh, you know. Say what you want about her losing to Roxanne Modafari the way that she did. I think that Macy Barber is very, very talented. And we already seen that Macy Barber has beaten Mallory Martin. So, um, should Mallory Martin be a minus 325? No. Do not parlay her. You guys are lucky that I'm giving you this fucking wisdom. Uh, with that said, I'm not going out there and putting money on Hannah Cyphers either. Who knows where her mental is at right now coming off of three straight losses. And who know who knows what kind of shape she'll actually be in, you know, considering this is going to be her fourth fight in eight months. You know, she might be burnt out at this point in time. But with that said, I'm not going out there and willing to find out whether Mallory Martin is going to be successful again in the takedown and getting the victory in this fight at minus 325. Pass, please. With that said, I will take Mallory Martin to win this fight via decision. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, way too juiced, way, way, way too juiced, considering that, uh, you know, Mallory Martin, in my opinion, is not a proven fighter yet. Uh, again, very tough fight against Verna Jandy Roba first time around, and obviously, you know, it showed, uh, but uh, yeah, I need to see a little bit more from Martin, especially at the UFC level, before I can go out there and, you know, even better, better uh, bet her better than minus 150 or minus 200, so I will take her to win by decision, but I'm not uh, the most confident in that bet. Um, so be cautious. Uh, next up, we got Maki Patolo versus Impa Kasanganai. Uh, like I said at the top of the show, Impa is coming in on very, very short notice. And Maki Patolo too, kind of, because he just got choked out by um, uh, Darren Stewart a couple of events ago. Let's just confirm this, actually, uh, in terms of the timing for both of these guys. So we got Maki Patolo, who just recently lost to Darren Stewart. Um, August 8th, and now here he comes in three weeks later against Impa Kasanganai. Impa, on the other hand, um, they were, so originally they were scheduled to fight on August 22nd this past weekend. That obviously didn't happen. I'm not entirely sure why. And uh, Impa Kasanganai actually won August 11th. So three days after uh, Maki Pitola got submitted, uh, Impa goes out there and gets a victory on the Contender Series, gets rewarded with a contract, and gets even more rewarded by uh, being able to jump in there pretty much in the same month that he got the victory on the Contender Series. So this should be an intriguing fight. I do think that Impa is actually the better overall fighter here, though. The fact that he's minus 125 to Maki Pitola's plus 105 shows you all you need to know. You know, Coconut Bombs, that's a very fitting nickname for Maki Pitola, as I believe that's usually his best best path to victory uh, against most of these guys. I did fade him when he fought Charles Bird earlier uh, in the year. Um, again, I, that's kind of what I believed. Uh, the one thing that I did overlook in that fight was Charles Bird's uh, horrible gas tank. Come that second round, that man was huffing and puffing, uh, and it looked like, you know, if he just blew on him, he would have just fallen over. Um, so luckily for Maki Patoli, he's over, uh, able to go out there and get his first UFC victory in that fight. Uh, but before that, we saw him get just... 
uh, was it uh, Callan Potter? I believe it was Callan Potter that was able to outlast him and pretty much grind him out. Uh, yeah, Callan Potter back at UFC 243. And then gets submitted by a striker in Darren Stewart uh, in his most recent fight. Impa Kasanganai, in my opinion, is just way more well-rounded, has the better striking, uh, will be the slightly longer fighter as well. Um, a guy that's very driven too. You know, he he had the contender series fight a couple times uh, and came up short and now uh, finally in the UFC wants to make a statement. And I think this is a perfectly matchup or perfectly matched uh, f opponent for him to go out there and have a successful UFC debut. But you guys know me. I don't like to bet on UFC debuting fighters. So minus 125 is not that bad of a line considering that talent-wise, I do think that Impa will have the better striking. He just needs to stay away from the power. Uh, and he could absolutely go out, there, go out there and just wrestle fuck Mackie Patola, in my opinion. If he takes this fight to the ground, I think he would have much success uh, you know, later in the fight. But in that first round, he's got to be very cautious because, again, Coconut Bombs is the perfect nickname for Patolo because he does throw with a lot of power. Um, if he does land on Impa, it could be night-night for Impa. But if Impa you know, rolls with the punches, evades the shots as best as he can, gets this fight later into the into the rounds, uh, he should be able to go out there and just uh, wear on Batolo uh, and just show an overall game where he's able to to be the better fighter through and through. So I'm going to take Impa Kasanganai to win this fight via decision uh, just through a complete grapple fucking clinch fest uh, where he's able to stay safe, avoid the big shots of Batolo, and get the victory. Uh, next up, we got Ian Kutilaba versus Magomed Ankalaev. Uh, so these guys fought earlier this year, uh, and unfortunately, the fight was stopped due to uh, a great acting job from Iwan Kutilaba, where he was able to pretend that he was hurt and rocked from Ankalaev shots, and it even fooled the referee. The referee goes out there and stops the fight, and Kutilaba immediately throws a tantrum, saying, I am not hurt. I am trying to goat this guy into thinking that I'm hurt. Uh, you know, so that I can counter him and then put his ass out. I highly doubt that we will see Iwan Kutilaba try to do that same shit this time around. You know, maybe he talks to the referee before the fight and be like, hey, this is what I'm going to try to do. So unless you see me unconscious on the canvas looking at the ceiling, don't stop this fight. Regardless, I don't think that's going to matter this time around because I don't think anything has changed other than the fact that these guys have already stepped in the cage against each other. Magomed Ankalaev is the way better technical striker. He may not have, you know, one-punch knockout power like Iwan Kutilaba does, but he does have a great, complete game, uh, especially a technical striking game where he's able to go out there and just make opponents look completely stupid. You know, he, he strikes very well, he kicks very well, he throws in combinations, his movement is great. The only flaw that he has, and it's the only loss on his record, was when he gave up against Paul Craig uh, with one second left. I wish that his corner was just a little bit louder and was able to go out there and, you know, just yell at Magomed. You got five seconds left. You got three seconds left. You got two seconds left. If he just held on one more second, he would still have an unblemished record. However, here he is sitting at 13-1. and one. Uh, And, you know, again, I do believe he has, uh, you know, a title... Um, he does have a, a, a title uh, in his future. I do think that he could definitely go out there and be a champion. He could go out there and beat Dominic Reyes. He can go out there and beat Anthony Smith. He could be a headliner here and beat both guys, in my opinion, on his best day. Um, Kutilaba, on the other hand, the guy we know what his game is. He wants to go out there and he try, wants to try to knock you out. Or he wants to go out there and take you down like Khalil Rantri and pound your face into the canvas. Um, I think Ankalaev has solid enough takedown defense, good enough sambo and wrestling that he'd be able to keep this fight on the feet. But I think it comes down to his footwork, uh, his jab, and his ability to keep uh, Kutilaba on the end of his strikes. And that's where it's going to come down to. Kutilaba is just going to continuously swing at air. This is kind of going to look like the... the you know, a bigger version of Gavin Tucker against Justin James. If you guys remember me breaking down that fight, it was like Justin James trying to just wing for the fences, try to look for that knockout shot. And if he's not able to find it, he's going to start to slow down and we'll see the better fighter, the better technical fighter start to take over uh, and have a lot of success. So I think that we'll see Uncle uh kind of have that type of approach where, you know, he'll play it safe in that first round, let Kutilaba swing at air, and then start to put it on in the second and third rounds. And we can see a late finish for Kutilaba here. So I wouldn't mind uh, what Kutilaba in the third round is. Let's see what that prop actually is, if they actually have it out for us. Uh, Uncle Ayev to win in round three, plus 1050. 
Not that bad of a price tag, in my opinion, as I believe that's a really good spot for Uncle Live to get the victory here. Um, yeah, I'm a huge Uncle Live believer. I believe he will have the title, or at least he'll fight for the title in 2021, barring any, you know, John Jones comeback or anything like that. I know Anthony Johnson is on his way back to the UFC as well, too, so maybe that might clog his plans a little bit. But a victory over Ian Kutilaba here, and albeit a dominant victory over Kutilaba, will really cement him in that top 10, top 7 of the division. And uh, yeah, just when you have a fighter like Iwan Kutilaba who just tries to wing for the fences and always try to knock his opponent out, he's only going to get so far, especially when he starts to fight this level of competition. And Ankalaev is that level of competition where it's just going to be too much for Kutilaba. Um, I've seen things out there that people believe that um, Ankalaev is a quitter just because he you know tapped out to, to Paul Craig. I think that's an outlier. I think that's an anomaly where it probably will never happen again where we see Uncle Ive, you know, a little bit more aware. Maybe that was a good test for him. Uh, but uh, I do believe he'll be able to to evade all of the big shots of Ian Kutilova. He might get him once or twice, uh, but I don't think it will be enough to really put him out or, you know, allow Kutilova to get the victory here. So I do like Uncle Ive to win this fight. Um, I do think he is the better fighter. Um and technically way more sound than Kutilaba here, who just always wants to go out there and get the, the knockout. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Kutilaba actually try to take this fight to the ground or at least implement takedowns. Uh, but again, I do believe Magomed's uh, wrestling and Sambo will be enough defensively to allow him to keep this fight on the feet and implement his striking game. So I'm going with Kutilaba, or sorry, I'm going with Ankalaev to win this fight via third round KO. Next up, we got Ricardo Lamos versus or Lamos, Ricardo Lamos versus Bill Algio, the newcomer. Uh, let's get the odds for you guys real quick. We got minus two ninety on Ricardo Lamos and plus two forty five on Bill Algio. Let's start off with Ricardo Lamos, the vet of the UFC. He has plenty of fights under the UFC banner and the Zufa banner as well too. If you guys want to go back to the WEC days and way way higher level of competition than anything that Bill Algeo has faced in the past. Um, so Ricardo Lamas is coming back after a 14-month layoff after he last got knocked out by Calvin Cater uh, in a fight where he was just completely outmatched on the feet. Like, you know, Lamas will probably be the first one to admit that where he was absolutely outgunned on the feet. Uh, his only chance to really winning that fight was getting that fight to the ground consistently and often uh, and possibly pulling off a submission of some sort, but he was not even able to do that. Um, you know, Cater is just too good, and you can't really blame him for that. But outside of that, I think at 38 years old, Ricardo Lamas still has a lot to offer to the game, especially against some of these newcomers that are coming into the game thinking that they can go in there and, and just derail um, uh, a UFC veteran who may not be ranked in the top 15 at this point in time, but uh, I still think has a lot to, to give and offer in this featherweight division. Lamas has good kickboxing, decent power, solid jiu-jitsu, and uh, an even stronger wrestling game. So I think that's going to be very important for him to implement in this fight against Bill Algio. Algio, on the other hand, um, not that impressed. You know, I looked a little bit deeper into his record. Some of the guys that he's fought, um, kind of sketchy. You know, the most recent guy that he fought was Tim Dooling, who was actually a rematch of a fight where he fought him, I believe, two or three years ago. Uh, and get this. When he fought Tim Dooling the first time, Tim came in 7-3. Second time he fights Tim Dooling, Tim Dooling comes in 9-7. and seven. That just goes to show you that Tim Dooling went 2-4 and four since uh, the, the last time that they fought. Why the hell are you fighting this guy again? No idea. I don't understand why people are, uh, you know, why the UFC even went out there and, and signed a guy like Al Gio. Um, You know, I know it's short notice and all that type of stuff, but I'm sure there are other featherweights out there that are willing to take this test against Ricardo Lamas compared to a guy who's just coming off of one victory. I have a lot of problems with Algeo for some reason. And I think it's the Instagram thing that kind of pissed me off the most. If you guys follow me on Twitter, I, I tweeted it out earlier this week, uh, Bill Algeo's bio of his Instagram. He has it listed as UFC contender. What? Huh? You, you fought on the contender series. And you lost. Huh? <laughs> UFC fighter is the better bio that you should be putting on your Instagram. Don't put UFC contender. You go out there and beat Ricardo Lamas, then you're a UFC contender. Then I will give you the, 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 the go-ahead and the green light to use contender 
in your UFC bio or, or your Instagram bio. Don't go out there and try to get these these chicks all confused. Like, oh, he's a contender. He's important in the UFC. No, not yet. Chill out, dude. And he's probably not going to pass his test against Ricardo Lamas. So let's talk about his actual fighting style. You know, uh, keeps his hands down, uh, you know, a little bit more confident than he should be. Uh, even in those, both of those Tim Dooling fights, for some reason he goes out there and thinks he's like Cody Garbrandt or something, where like Tim Dooling throws a leg kick and it barely, you know, it just misses Algio. And Algio does the whole like, oh, where did it go? Where were you fucking aiming? I don't understand that. I don't get it. Um, you know, but when you have, when you know you have such a skill discrepancy with your opponent, I guess you can be that cocky and that confident. But we don't see him that cocky and confident against other opponents who are able to push him a little bit more. Brendan Logning, you know, in that contender series fight, Logning did a really good job in terms of keeping the fight on the feet and then absolutely outstriking uh, Bill Algio. Uh, Scott Heckerman, hold on, sorry, I just want to get that name right. Uh, Scott, Scott Heckman. So that was his fourth last fight. Uh, and like I said, when I start to dig deeper into Algio's record and his past opponent's records, not the most impressive. Like I said, Tim Dooling, 9-7. and seven. John De Jesus, 10-6. and six. James Gonzalez, 4-2. and two. Tim Dooling again, 7-3. and three. Jeff Lentz, 11-4, not bad. Anthony Terrell, 5-1, not bad. 2-0, Mike Pope when he already had six fights into that. 8-5, and five, Joel Roberts. Either way, the losses that he has, Brendan Lognane on the Contender Series, Jared Gordon, and Shane Burgos. Just showing you when he goes out there and fights legitimate competition, he's not able to rise to the occasion and get these victories. Um, so yeah, go, going back to the Scott Heckman fight, 27-8. and eight, I'm like, okay, that's a solid opponent, right? Let's look at Scott Heckman now. So 27-8, and eight, but... Let me load up this page and break it down for you guys a little bit more. So he's a shorter fighter, 5'6", 65-inch reach, fighting at featherweight. So already, um, Bill Algio has a 6-inch uh, height advantage on him. So he's able to keep him on the outside, seemingly, and outstrike him from there. So let's look through Scott Heckman's record. Most recently, Je Jesse Stern, 8-2, decent. 6-2, Ryan Caffaro. 15-6, Jay Haas. 6-8, uh, Myron Baker. 7-7 seven and seven, Robert Sullivan, 7-6 and six, Robert Sullivan, back-to-back -back fights against Robert Sullivan for some goddamn reason, 7-19 and 19, Steve McCabe, 5-7 uh, and seven, Ruben Warr, uh, Jay Haas again, 15-15, and 15, Justin Dalton 5-10, and 10. like Scott Heckman has just made it a record of 27-8 and eight fighting complete cans, so obviously it looks good on Bill Algio's record, but if you look at that, that's a little bit sketchy. But not just the records. Like, I'm not trying to go out here and wiki cap these fights. Uh, when you look at that Scott Heckman fight, Heckman had a lot of success in that first round implementing his wrestling, you know, getting in on Bill Algio, getting those takedowns, and doing decent from on top. And yeah, Algio was able to get back to his feet, uh, but that's because Scott Heckman starts to gas a little bit. You see him start huffing and puffing. You see him start, you know, gasping for air. The guy starts to, you know, lose his gas tank, and that's where Algio starts to take over. With that said, Algio doesn't have the greatest gas tank himself. If you see the third rounds that he's been in, you know, sucking wind, uh, not really, not really able to have the output that is needed to have or to to go out there and get victories. Um, yeah, very very sketchy. Um, I, I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm just a little bit turned off by the guy, and I think it was the UFC contender thing that he has on his Instagram. But regardless, I don't I don't think he passes this test against Ricardo Lamas as I do believe that Lamas will have the better gas tank to go out there and implement a type of game plan that Scott Heckman was successful in in that first round, but we'll see it over three rounds and possibly over two because we'll see Ricardo Lamas pull off, whether it's a submission uh, or a knockout of some sort, I do believe that it will be closer to a submission uh, and we can see Ricardo Lamas pull off, let's say a dart stroke or something, but I do think that this is too high of a level for Bill Algio to be fighting in his first fight in the UFC. Um, you know, he has 17 fights. That's pretty much just as much as Ricardo Lamas has had in the UFC. You know what? I want to absolutely fact check that before I talk out of my ass um, to confirm how many UFC fights Ricardo Lamas actually has. Um, and we can even lump in WEC because the UFC obviously didn't have the featherweight division until they merged with the UFC. So since WEC 39, which is 2009, 2009, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 
6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 fights in Zufa. And his first one, uh, WC, in 2009. Bill Algio made his UFC, or his pro MMA debut in 2012. So I'm just saying. Ricardo Lamas, way better fighter here. Should, definitely deserving of that minus 290-ish range that he's at. Even minus 300 makes absolute sense. So I'm taking Ricardo Lamas to win this fight by second round submission. Uh, and I think he makes it look easy, to be honest. Uh, next up, we got Ji Yoon Kim versus Alexa Grasso. We got Grasso coming into this fight as the minus 325 favorite, I believe. Yeah, the minus 320 and plus 260 on Ji Yoon Kim. Uh, th so this is actually... Uh, Grasso's first fight up at 125 in the UFC. She missed weight the last time around against, uh, I believe it was Carla Esparza. Uh, and now she's fighting a Ji Yoon Kim, who has a pretty sizable reach advantage here. I believe she has a 72-inch reach. Um, yeah, 5'7", 72-inch reach. Excuse me. Alex Grasso, on the other hand, 5'5", five, 66-inch five, reach. I think that might play a little bit of a factor. But I think the better overall fighter here is Alexa Grasso. Um, Ji Yoon Kim, she has solid boxing, uh, you know, a better strike or a better boxer than she is a kickboxer. We do see her use her head kicks every now and then, but I do think that uh, the, the best of her game is in her hands. Alexa Grasso, on the other hand, a much better fighter overall. Um, you know, good kicks, good takedowns, good jujitsu. Uh, you know, we saw her numerous times kind of reverse Carla Esparza in their fight, uh, and we know how high level Carla Esparza is herself. Um, and obviously Alexa Grasso came out on the on, on the losing end in that fight, but that was a very, very close fight that a lot of people thought you could potentially give to her as well. Um, I just think that Grasso's forward movement, uh, her more versatile uh, offensive approach will be the better um, catalyst here to get the judges nod. However, I could see it playing out slightly close because Kim, she does have a little bit of a mean streak about her. And if she's able to kind of put the put the, the foot on the pedal a little bit, it could make the fight closer than the minus 320 suggests uh, for Alexa Grasso. That's probably the only thing that's keeping me away from really, uh, you know, going balls deep on Alexa Grasso here. Uh, I like her to win. Um, I think 115 is really where she should be, though. Um, so hopefully this is kind of just a one and done for her. Um, you know, she's going to run into a lot of problems fighting these slightly bigger women at 125, where her best work can definitely be done at 115. Um... I can see, you know, I will lean Grosso here. Um, I do think uh, she gets the nod, uh, but I think it will play out a little bit closer than most people are expecting. Uh, so that's uh, a little bit, giving me a little bit pause to really go in on Alexa Grosso here. But I do think that she gets the victory via decision. So uh, I'm going with Alexa Grosso to win this fight uh, via decision. Coming event time, we got Robbie Lawler. Uh, jumping in on short notice, short notice against Neil Magny. Magny was originally supposed to fight Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal falls ill, uh, has some weird health condition or something like that, nearly dies. Thankfully, he's on the road to recovery and he's good good to go. But uh, unfortunately for Neil Magny, he has to take on the ruthless one, Robbie Lawler. We got minus 235 on Neil Magny, plus 195 on Robbie Lawler. Um, you know, Magny, I think most recently is coming off a, a, an upset victory over Li Jingliang. That was a fight where I actually picked Neil Magny to win that fight. Um, oh, sorry, it was against Anthony Rocco Martin. Solid victory for him there, but I do believe I bet on him uh, when he fought Li Jingliang. Uh, but Neil Magny slowly started to seem like he's coming back to, into his own. We had a high ceiling for him coming off the Ultimate Fighter, but at 33 years old, he's slowly starting to come back. Um, you know, his most recent loss was to Santiago Ponzinibbio. That was a tough fight for him. Ponzinibbio, just the much better striker, much more firepower, uh, much more versatility in his strikes too, uh, which was really uh, the unfortunate part for Neil Magny. And then obviously those calf kicks, which made it very, very difficult for Magny to pull off a victory there. But in the Jing Leung fight and the Anthony Rocco Martin fights, we saw him really implement his grappling, implement his clinch, uh, implement his power and his strength. You know, he's, he's very, you know, uh, deceivingly strong uh, fighter, uh, given how tall he is, how much reach he has, um, and just how big his torso is. You know, he has toothpick legs, but his torso is just just massive and wide. 
um, and mix that in with his, you know, his legit cardio. He's definitely a, a big problem for a lot of guys. You know, he he uses his kicks very well to keep his opponents on the end uh, of the of the striking range that he likes to stay in. Uh, his jabs are very good too. Um, he does a good job of just sticking opponents, keeping them on the end, and then mixing in the clinch game when he needs to. You know, kind of mix it up a little bit more and keep his opponents on the uh, on the edge of their seat. Um, but this fight against Robbie Lawler is a tough one because we don't know what kind of Robbie Lawler we're going to see. You know, Robbie Lawler could absolutely be over the hump here um, considering he's had a couple flat performances last time around. He's 38 years old now. Um, who was the last fight that he had? He's on a three-fight skid. But that, you know, decent three-fight skid. You got RDA. Uh, that was in 2017. Then he comes back and fights Ben Askren. Uh, and that was a weird fight because he was close to winning that fight. Let's not forget about that. And then that, there was like the phantom tap or the phantom going out of Robbie Lawler uh, against Ben Askren. And then lastly, he uh, lost to Colby Covington, who was just a very tough matchup for pretty much anyone in the division outside of Kamaru Usman. Um, Neil Magny could go out there and put on a bit of a similar performance to Colby obviously not as much output but he could definitely stay busy enough and mixing grappling and wrestling uh, enough to keep Robbie Lawler on his toes um, and and you know Robbie Lawler just really likes to throw uh, to, to try to end the fight as much as he can um, it, there's just too many question marks in terms of what kind of Robbie Lawler we'll see uh, you know He's trained by Henry Hoof. He's trained down there at Sanford MMA. A lot of good training partners uh, and a lot of good, smart guys too. You can see him absolutely have success in terms of uh, you know launching leg kicks. What if he goes out there and has a leg kick heavy approach against Neil Magny, which we've seen be his kryptonite in the past? Um, you know, if they're able to implement those leg kicks and and really start to bring his hands together with that, uh, it could spell trouble for Neil Magny. So I think that. You know, I am confident in Neil Magny here. I think he has the ability to win this fight. I do think Neil Magny will win. But the question marks surrounding Robbie Lawler and the shape that he's in and the type of game plan that he can bring into this fight just gives me a little bit of pause. So I want to I want to backtrack from that fight a little bit. Um, I do think Neil Magny is, uh, should be favored. Should he be favored at minus 235? Not 100% sure. Uh, I'd be a little bit more comfortable on betting Magny at minus 150, minus 165. So maybe we'll see the, the name value of Robbie Lawler help out the betting line here and maybe get a better betting line on Neil Magny closer to the fight. So I'll definitely keep my eye on that. Uh, but I do think that we will see Neil Magny grind out this fight uh, you know, have a have a textbook performance going out there and keeping Robbie Lawler on the end of his shots, using his teeth to, to to stifle the forward movement of Robbie Lawler, uh, and then start to you know engage in the clinch and start to initiate takedowns uh, when it's needed uh, to really slow down Robbie Lawler. Um, what I want to see from Neil Magny though is to to keep a high pressure and a high pace from the get go. If he's able to do that from the first round all the way to the 15th minute or even come the 10th minute, we'll see Robbie Lawler start to slow down a little bit more. He won't have as much pop on his shots. Um, and and yeah, but again, too many question marks. I, I, I just don't know what kind of Robbie Lawler we're going to see considering he's been out since August um, of last year. So this is going to be close to a year since he's been off. Actually, yeah, over a year since he's been off. Uh, but yeah, this is a tough opponent for him to come back to considering how weird and awkward Neil Magny's style is. So I'm taking Neil Magny to win this fight via decision, uh, but minus 235, in my opinion, is slightly too high for me to pay a price on Neil Magny. All right, we got the main event coming up next. We got Anthony Smith versus Alexander Rakic. Let's start off with Anthony Smith, who's coming off an unfortunate loss to um, Glover Teixeira where his coach, Mark Montoya, got absolutely crucified for allowing him to continue to take that beating all the way into the fifth round. Um, a lot of people were thinking that he should have just stopped the fight in between the fourth and fifth round, uh, but Smith is a fighter. They call him Lionheart for a reason. He went out there and still tried to try to get the finish, but unfortunately he got finished and absolutely murked by Glover Teixeira. Um, Anthony Smith, one of those fighters that just goes out there and has a resurgence. You know, a lot of people were writing him off before he came up to the light heavyweight division, put together a couple of solid wins. Solid, you know what I mean? You're talking about wins over Rashad Evans, Shogun Hua. I'll give him the Vulcan Uzdemir fight, and then he gets a title shot against John Jones, but just shows no urgency in that fight and gets absolutely 50-45 in that fight against John Jones. Comes back and, uh, you know, upsets a lot of people when he beats Alexander Gustafsson, but for some reason, Gustafsson just did not seem like he was in that fight at all. 
you know, mentally from the from the face off right before the fight started, all the way to you know getting finished in that fourth run where he just you know kind of flopped to his back and gave up his back to Anthony Smith, who was able to go in there and just get the rear naked choke after that. And then obviously we know what happened with him and Glover Teixeira. He's a decent all-around fighter, but I just don't think he's great at anything. He's good at things, but he's not great at anything. So I think that's where uh, the questions start to come for uh, Anthony Smith, especially when he goes up there and fights a guy like Alexander Rakic, who looks you know almost unstoppable outside of that Volkan Uzdemir fight. You know he has a strong top game when he's able to implement his wrestling, uh, able to get guys down and kind of just crush them from on top with ground and pound with pressure. Um, you know, like he did to Justin Ledet, uh, like he's been able to do with past opponents. But, uh, you know, the Volkan Uzdemir fight was a very tricky one. Uh, you know, Uzdemir beat up that front leg, was able to, you know, pretty much have an alien growing out of uh, Alexander Rakic's uh, calf. Um, and that may have impeded his, uh, you know, his movement, his, his performance a lot in that fight. But I think that, um, you know, I, I think that Rakic won that fight. Um we could see Rakic have the same type of success here against uh, Smith. You know, we need to see Rakic throw a little bit more in combinations, uh, utilize his uh, head kick, you know, try to hide it though. You know, he does throw a lot of naked kicks. So if we see him kind of throw a one-two and then come up with a high kick, he could definitely catch Anthony Smith here. Um, but I think it's going to come down to him implementing his wrestling and his grappling because that's where he will have most of his success. So if he's able to, to mix his game together very well, I think he'll be the stronger fighter here. I think he has a solid enough gas tank to, to really put it on Anthony Smith. Uh, but again, another very wide line. We got minus 275 on Rakic. I like him. I don't like him enough for minus 275, though. So I think that's that's a little bit too big of a line. Um, what do we got the over-under at? Over-under is uh, over one and a half is minus 160. I don't. I don't mind that line. I, I think that we'll see a little bit of a cautious, cautious approach from either guy. I don't think that we'll see other guy kind of like you know blitz the other and try to get a knockout early. Um, I think we'll see them you know slowly get into the game. And even though it's a three round fight, um, I still think that we'll see them be a little bit more cautious. And I can see this absolutely going over the seven and a half minute mark. So instead of betting a side here, I would rather bet the over. Um, you know, minus one sixty is a little bit juicy, but I do think it has some value there. Um, you know, you know, either guy, they're outside of like Anthony Smith against Shogun and Anthony Smith against Rashad Evans or Alexander Rakic against Jimmy Manuel. They're not quick finishers. They don't go out there and just starch their opponents, uh, especially if they're, you know, roughly at the same level of them or just close enough. You know, Smith was just way better than Shogun and way better than Rashad at the times of their fights. And Rakic, you know, we know how chinny Jimmy Manuel was. Chinny Jimmy as I like to call him, uh, we know how chinny he was at the time, which is why Rakic was able to put him out pretty much instantly. Uh, but yeah, I do like Rakic. I think he has a, a ton of potential. I do want to see him uh, against these higher levels of competition. Anthony Smith is a solid test for him, especially after Volkan Uzdemir, uh, that unfortunate loss he had to Uzdemir. But I do like Rakic to win this fight. I want to say by decision, I kind of wish we got five rounds here just to see uh, Rakic in that you know fourth and fifth rounds if the fight does end up going that far. But I do like him to win this fight. I do think that we'll see him you know hold his own in the striking uh, and then eventually start to get this fight to the ground and really start to pummel Anthony Smith's face into the canvas. Um, but yeah, I, I like Rakic to win this fight. I do think he gets it done uh, via decision. Uh, and yeah, he continues to move that, up that light heavyweight division. Like I said at the top of the show, it's wide open now with John Jones, uh, you know, uh, moving up to heavyweight and vacating that light heavyweight title. So I'm taking Rakic to win this fight via decision. All right. I can't believe we got it done. It's been so long since I've done a, an episode like this where I just bang off all these fights in one sitting and it, it was fucking exhausting. You guys have no idea how much I was trying to fight off the yawns here, but I did my best to, to, to keep him down. I know my man, Big Marley, if he's still watching these fucking podcasts, he was always telling me to take a shot every time I yawned. So uh, hopefully you guys aren't wasted or anything by then. Um, but next week I'm, uh, you know, coming fresh. So today is Wednesday night. Uh, Friday, I'll be heading back to Toronto. I should be back in Toronto by Sunday. And then I'll be getting back to my normal schedule of dropping my breakdowns early for the patrons. Uh, shout out to the patrons once again. Uh, and uh, yeah, everything should be back to normal as of next week. Uh, apologize again uh, for the late drop on this. Apologies to the patrons for, you know, 
the lack of early access to these breakdowns, but you guys are still getting the bets and you guys are still getting the the, the best bets and props article uh, dropped for you as well too. Again, not the, not the most in-depth this time around just due to circumstances, but regardless, I'm still able to drop it for you guys. So again, hit up the Patreon if you guys want the, the, the cheapest and most efficient way of getting my picks, uh, including the early access to the breakdowns, uh, the best bets article, and then, you know, just my leans and, and just me chatting you up, guys, a little bit more. You know, I can't be as transparent on Twitter when I'm talking about what fights I want to bet on or where I'm leaning just because I don't really want to, get, you know, show my hand uh, other than to my patrons who are actually paying to see these things. So, uh, you know, toss your boy five bucks a month, I'll hop on the Patreon, uh, and we can get closer to, you know, making this a little bit more of a full-time thing so I can have these breakdowns for you guys even earlier uh, and give you guys a little bit more content and answer even more questions for you guys and dedicate more time to this shit for you guys. So once again, I appreciate you guys uh, for all the support, all the subscribers. If you haven't subscribed on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button and drop your comments below in terms of what you guys are betting on this weekend, what you guys are leaning. And if you guys disagree with any of my picks. All right, I'm going to put this on YouTube and then go to sleep. Because I got to work in like six hours or some shit. Appreciate you guys tuning in as always. Uh, apologies, this isn't as produced as it normally is. But I'm, I'm sure you guys are happy just to get the fucking episode. Uh, but yeah, good luck this weekend. Uh, gamble responsibly and I'll see you guys for the next episode. By the way, this is episode 91. We're nine episodes away from 100. Holy fuck. But yeah. Appreciate you guys watching. Hit the subscribe, hit the like, hit the comments, and I'll see you guys next time.